At PCC, we take Jesus seriously. When he said, love God with all your heart, we think he actually meant it. So, we do. about God from passionate teachers. We make worship and studying the Bible a daily part of our lives. We wrestle with scripture together and on our own. And we go wherever he leads us to help others do the same thing. Jesus also said, love your neighbor as yourself. And we think he meant that too. So we spend time together because we think relationships matter. We offer help when it's needed. We live generously. We give sacrificially. And we welcome everybody. We take Jesus seriously, but not ourselves. We're the least likely people with the most amazing God and a passionate vision to love God and to love others. To reach people who don't go to church so that we can all know God, discover purpose, get real, make a difference, and be the change. And we are so glad you are here today. Welcome to church. All right, welcome to church. We're so glad that you're here this morning. If you would go ahead and stand and sing with us, lift your voices high as we worship today. Let's do that.
Amen. Thank you for singing with us. How y'all doing today? Feel good? Extra hour sleep kicking in right about now. Yeah. How y'all How y'all doing? Doing good? Doing good? Tanner's doing great. Yeah. Hey, in the room, online, at home, we sing about that. That line, there's a line in there I really like that's really hit me today, especially. Uh, God's presence is an open door. You think about this, right? How amazing and incredible that is that the God of the universe who created everything we've ever known or ever seen or will discover, he has an open door policy. I mean, y'all's bosses at work don't have an open door policy, <laughs> all right? But God does, and it's so special, and we celebrate that because any time on our time, we can access the divine, and that is unbelievably amazing. So we celebrate that, we sing that, as well as that God has never failed us before. So we're gonna continue to sing to that end. I hope that you'll join us. Let's do it. Christ is my firm foundation the rock on which I stand When everything around me is shaking I've never been more glad That I put my faith in Jesus Cause he's never let me down He's faithful through generations so why would he fail now? He won't.
No matter what storms we face, if our lives are built on God's firm foundation, it won't fail. Because He won't fail. Thanks for being here as we declare that together today. Welcome to Passion Community Church. I'm Mark Tapscott, your online campus pastor. Now, if you're new here, then filling out a Connect card is a great place to get started. And you can do that on our website, or you can just click on the link in the chat. Now, last week we mentioned Operation Christmas Child. At our physical campuses this morning, there are red and green boxes piled high in the atriums. Now, those are for something that we participate in every year. It's an organization called Operation Christmas Child, and that's part of a larger organization called Samaritan's Purse, which you may have heard of. Now, their goal is to make sure kids around the world, especially in communities less fortunate than ours, get something for Christmas this year. And here at PCC, we're partnering with them to make that happen. So if you live near a physical location, you can pick up a box or maybe multiple boxes and fill them up and make a child's Christmas this year. And make sure to bring them back two weeks from today, which is November 19th. Now, for those of us online, you can visit SamaritansPurse.com and fill up a box online, but they still need to be done by November 19th, so don't wait, fill up a box today. Now, coming up next Sunday, we have another event that only happens once a year, and that's our annual Agenda Forum. Now, this is a place for members and non-members to hear about all the exciting things happening in our church, as well as what's on the horizon for 2024. So join us on Zoom next Sunday at 5 p.m., and head to our website at pccwire.net to get more information. Now at PCC, our dream team is what keeps us moving. We have people that greet, they work in our technical areas, they set up for events, they teach our kids, and they do it all because they love Jesus. Now our online campus is no exception. We have a team of chat hosts that volunteer to help greet our attendees and they help provide you with helpful information as you watch our services each week. We also have technical positions that help deliver the service to you with quality and with as few distractions as possible. And you can be part of our team too. If you would like to know more about what it looks like to volunteer with us on the Online Campus Dream Team, then just send me an email and I'd be happy to have a conversation with you about what that looks like. And I also want to say a big thank you to all the volunteers who serve here online. You see, our team has become like family and our church could not do what we do each week without them. So. Thank you for serving. Now, one of the things our church is focused on in this season is to make church happen beyond Sunday. And in this past week, we did just that all over Central Virginia with our fall and Halloween events. Literally thousands of kids and a bunch of adults all enjoyed awesome family experiences at each of our five physical campuses. And for many of those people, that was their first PCC experience, and it opened the door for them to come back. Now, here's the awesome thing. You're part of making that happen, even if you didn't attend those events when you give here. Now, when you partner with us financially, you make it possible for us to open our doors to kids and adults and families, even beyond Sunday. Now, if you're already giving, thank you for doing that. And if you'd like to give today, you can do so safely and securely on our website, or you can just click on the link in the chat. Would you pray with me? God, I just want to say thank you for uh, waking us up today and giving us life. And God, I thank you for the folks that, that give uh, and, and give generously, and it makes it possible for us to have these events that help people that may not feel comfortable coming in on a Sunday, but it gives them a chance to check out our church. And uh, so we thank you that we are able to do that, and we pray that the folks that came and experienced those events will uh, have felt welcomed and that they will uh, be curious enough to come back and experience a Sunday with us as well. So we were praying for what you're doing in their hearts right now. And thank you for the folks that, that give and make that happen week after week. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's head back into our service that's already in progress. things for us to do new mountains that you want to in prison walls is your breakthrough it's all for your glory 
Apostle Paul one time said, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and through Jesus Christ, throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. That sounds a whole lot like, take us beyond what our eyes can see and what our hearts can dream. That's what our church is about. It's about giving credit to the one who can do exceedingly, abundantly above whatever we could ask or imagine. His is the power that we live in. Last summer, Susan and I took a trip to experience a part of the country we had never seen before. We decided to go to Yellowstone. And, and before I tell you about the trip, just let me take a time out and speak to just one group of people who are here at our church uh, today at all of our campuses. All you, all you uh, parents of young kids, 
still in that insane time in your life when your kids are pulling you in opposite directions at the same time all the time? And, and you hear people talk about taking a trip and you think that must be nice. I have, I have good news for you. This season that you're in, it will come to an end. And I know it's a source of grief for some people, especially you know, some moms that get all sad about that. I will tell you that it opens the door for some life and some getaways that are just not possible while your kids are sucking the life out of you today <laughs> and taking all of your attention and all of your energy and all of your money that will come to an end. So when Joshua, our youngest, grew up, we took off. Truth be told, and Joshua loves to tell you if you ask him, we took off the day he got his driver's license. We took him to the DMV, sent him home in the car. We left. We never came back. I gave, I gave him a credit card. I said, get whatever food you want and call if you need help. I may or may not be available. Well, that's not entirely true, but, but it's not an embellishment to say that we were really, Susan and I were really excited to get some things that we had dreamed about but just had been unable to do in the tyranny of parenting. So back to my trip, <clears throat> I'd sketched out this two-week adventure that would really not just take us to Yellowstone, it would take us to three national parks. So we flew into Bozeman and we picked up a rental car and we drove, I don't know, four or five hours north to Glacial, uh, to Glacial National Park's uh, going to the Sun Road, which is this 50-mile road. It takes two hours if you just drive it straight, it's, but we didn't just drive it straight. And it's between two glacial lakes, and it goes through the Continental Divide, and it offers some of America's most amazing, most stunning vistas anywhere. We were really excited about this because along this road, there are also some amazing opportunities to hike, which Susan and I love to do. We, were, we, had, we had planned out some cool hikes. And on this one place, which we had looked up, we were really excited about, we pull off... Uh, into the little parking lot. We load up our backpacks with some snacks and some water and a book that when we do this, we read a book to each other. And so we had, when we take breaks, and so we had this book we put in our backpack and, and we begin, we, we walk to the trailhead to begin this 10 mile, really steep hike uh, through this difficult terrain. And, but it was gonna take us to supposedly this amazing view. So we walk from the car, we get out of the car, we got our backpack on, our shoes are laced up, we walk to the trailhead, and at the trailhead is this big sign. Now, you know, this is, you know, Montana, Wyoming area. I mean, there's, there's grizzly bears everywhere, you know it. And, and so I saw lots of those signs. But we get to the trailhead, and there's a sign I've not seen before. And it says this, warning, you are now entering a grizzly bear management area. Like in management area, what have we hired them now? They're like employees. And, you know, I don't, and so I don't know what this means. Grizzly bear management area. And the fine print says, hike in groups of four or more. I'm thinking, well, it's just the two of us. I look around hoping maybe there's another you know, couple or group we can go with, but it's just us. There's nobody in the parking lot, just us. Now I do have some bear spray. And, and I remember this like 10 minutes before we went in, I watched this one guy go in by himself. I don't know where his car was. I don't know where he came from, but he went in by himself like 10 minutes before. And I thought, well, that's good for us. A hungry bear will eat this dude <laughs> and he'll be full by the time we get to him. So, so we begin, we, hi we hike through this really thick forest and they've got, it's, got, it's uphill, it's steep, it's rocky, it's got all these blind turns and that's part of the danger, right? You never wanna surprise a grizzly bear because what she's gonna do is instinctively, she's gonna protect her cubs and your instinct is to run, which is the worst thing you can do. I mean, running triggers this instinctive response in a bear. If you run, he's coming and he's faster. So this is what they say all over the place that they've got these signs that say, stand your ground, stand your ground. Rangers will tell you, look big. We went to like a train, like, you know, training in the encounter of a grizzly bear. Look big, talk softly, let them charge you. They'll most likely stop. That's what they said. They'll most likely stop. So we're, I'm not kidding. So we're walking along and, and, and we're going up this hike and every once in a while I would hear some movement and I'd whip out my bear spray from my holster like a gunslinger in the wild west pulling out his six shooter. <laughs> and I would hold it, Susan standing behind me, I would hold it and I would say, do you hear him? He's, he's right behind that tree. Oh, <laughs> never mind. it's just a squirrel. It was a big squirrel though in my defense. There was one time I was legitimately afraid. Whatever we heard nearby, it was big. Now, it might not have been a bear, it might have been a moose, but I assumed it was a bear, and so I pull out my bear spray and I'm holding it. 
I'm, wa- I'm waiting on the attack. I know it's coming. And I say this to Susan in all seriousness. I, at this point, I really am afraid. And I say to her, hey, we've only got one can of bear spray. If, if we get charged, you cannot run. The bear will forget me, follow his instincts, chase after you, and I can't help you. I'm over here with the bear spray. So this is what I said. I said, look, if we get charged, you got to stay with me. Stay right with me. We can pee our pants. That wasn't in the training, but it'll be all right. But we're either going to survive together or we're going to die together. But either way, we're going to be together. And we never saw a bear, at least not on that hike. But we did reach the summit, and it did not disappoint. This picture just remotely captures. It doesn't even begin to tell the story of how amazing it was. We felt like we were on top of the world. We felt like we had accomplished, we did accomplish something that very few people actually get to experience. And when we got there, we just sat with it, kind of sat in silence for a long time. At least it felt that way. We just took it all in. Because underneath of the view was this reality. We had stretched our limits. We had faced down our fear. We had traveled through the danger and finally exhausted and spent. We got to experience the reward of it all, knowing not just that we did it, but that we did it together. Towards the end of his time on earth, Jesus knew that the most challenging and the most dangerous part of his human journey was about to come. It was still to come. He had a full picture of it. Jesus always knew. He he could see beyond. He could see around the corner. He could see into the future. He understood the risks, but he also knew the reward. He knew the cost, but he also knew the benefit. He knew, but his disciples didn't. They, They had a limited view. They had the perspective of only what was right in front of them, only what their eyes could see. So Jesus tries to bring them along. He wants to give them the bigger picture. This is what happens. Now, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and on the way, he took the 12. That's just the 12 disciples. He took the 12 aside, and he said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, and that's how Jesus talked about himself. So he's talking about him. So, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. Mocked, flogged, and crucified. Now I know what it's like to be made fun of. Maybe you do too. But I've not been flogged or crucified. And it just seems to me, hypothetically, that this would be something to avoid. I mean, I ran like crazy, like my life was at risk when my mama got out the fly swatter. In case you don't know what that means, she was not interested in flies. And once or twice, maybe a handful of times, I provoked punishment by the belt. But flogging was not punishment. Flogging was torture. It was literally the filleting of flesh. It was being skinned alive one whip at a time. Really. Crucifixion was part two of this brutal, inhumane execution, and its only comfort was the death that it would eventually bring to its victim. So, question number one is, why would Jesus still head to Jerusalem? I mean, I don't understand. I mean, really, wouldn't it have been more reasonable? If it was me, I'd been like, hey, guys, huddle up. We got to have, have a little disciple meeting. Uh, hey, guys, um, here's the thing. is change of plans. I have learned that mocking, flogging, and execution or crucifixion are that way. We are going that way instead. Have a nice day. Pack your bag. That's what I would have done. But with Jesus, there was no about face. There was no changing of directions. It was more like just a statement. I mean, mocking, flogging, and crucifixion are there, so there we will go. And the reason is because Jesus could see not only the cost of it all, but he also could see the result, the end result, the benefit. We're going to go to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they're going to condemn him to death, and they'll hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. On the third day, though, he will be raised to life. On the third day, he will be raised to life. After all this, this is the result. And this little event, the raising to life of the one who was legitimately dead, is not some one-off magic trick. It was actually the defeat of death's victory over humanity. It was a knockout blow to the finality of life that everyone experienced. 
And Jesus' third day resurrection, because of it, we would be offered something that we were unable to obtain otherwise. We couldn't get any other way. And what that was is eternity with God, not just in heaven one day, but beginning with the presence of Jesus today, this day. Because of all because of the resurrection, all because Jesus understood the price he would have to pay to achieve all of that for you and me. But his followers didn't understand that. And that's what makes the very next thing that happens. Like I didn't like put any space between these two scriptures. What I'm gonna show you is one of the strangest encounters in the whole Bible. It happens right after Jesus says, this is where we're going. And, and mocking and flogging and crucifixion are that way. And then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, Jesus asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. Now, before we get to the request itself, I just want to I just want to ask this. I don't know that I can answer this question. I'm just saying, what kind of grown man gets his mama to ask for a favor like this? <laughs> the mother of Zebedee's sons, we know who these guys are. It's James and John. James and John are the sons of Zebedee. That's their dad. So this is their mom. So we know who this is. This, and, and think for a minute with me. You might not know this. This is the same John who writes the book of Revelation, eventually, the last book in your Bible. This is the same John who writes one of the gospels of Jesus, one of the four books of the Bible that tell us the story of Jesus. This is the same John who would give us some of the most famous words in the church, maybe even in all of human history. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And that light shined in the darkness, but the darkness did not overcome it. That's what John said. But apparently, all of that influence John would eventually have was brokered by his mama. <laughs> or at least that's what, that's what she tried to do. So these two guys, they're standing right behind her. When she asked Jesus this question, I'd love to, I would love to, I, we're not told what they look like. I just would love to see the look on their faces while their mama, you know, goes up to Jesus and asks for this favor, like the mom of, a, of an elementary school kid asking if their kid can sit at the front of the bus or be the line leader or get a trophy even when they come in last place. Jesus, will you do me a favor? When you get to heaven and when you sit on your throne, how about you let my boy John here sit on your right and my boy James here sit on your left? How about that? I would like them to be recognized because they're good kids, you know. So Jesus, not really ever addressing the audacity of her request, he does actually address the cost. And that'll have something to do with you and me. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Check this out. He turns, stops talking to her, starts talking to James and John because this was really their question. You don't know what you're asking, he says to them. Can you drink the cup I'm gonna drink? Can you drink the cup I'm gonna drink? What's Jesus talking about? What's the cup? To understand it, and I thought I knew what it was. Until I studied for today, I thought I knew what it was, and God showed me something that really blew me away. So to understand it, you have to go a little further just a couple of chapters later in the story where Jesus actually gets to the point where he's, he's gone to Jerusalem and now he's about to be arrested. And the, that arrest would be followed by, you know, being mocked, flogged, and crucified, and death. All those things that Jesus knew were coming. He said they were coming. So when we get like four chapters later, uh, his disciples, Jesus has gone to this garden to pray. He, he knew how bad it was about to be. And he drops off his disciples over here and he says, hey guys, I'm gonna go on a little further by myself. Would you guys just pray for me? There's a whole story there. We don't have time to get to it, but would you guys just pray for me? And then Jesus walks over and he's by himself and he, he looks towards heaven and he cries out to God like this, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, it would be easy to assume that the cup that Jesus refers to here 
is also the same cup that he refers to when he answers the earlier question. And we think it surrounds the suffering and death. Can we sit at your right and your left when you enter the kingdom, when you sit on your throne? Well, let me tell you what's going to happen. I have to endure brutal torture. And I have to endure betrayal, and I have to endure abandonment, and I have to endure death, mocking, flogging, and crucifixion. Are you willing to do that? Are you, are you willing to drink that cup? I always thought that's what he meant. And when he gets to the garden in this text right here, and he says, God, hey, could you just remove this cup from me? I always thought the cup was the torture, the suffering, the death, the crucifixion, all that stuff. And it makes sense. It only makes sense. Remember, Stay with me now. There are two guys standing in front of him, James and John. It only makes sense that the cup is all about suffering and martyrdom if you think about James, just James. Because James is the first of the disciples to be martyred. You can read about it in Acts chapter 12. James gets martyred. But John, the other brother, he lives to be nearly 100 years old. He didn't drink the cup of betrayal or torture or martyrdom like Jesus did or like his brother did. The cup has to be more than false imprisonment. It doesn't mean execution. It really, the cup really has nothing to do with how you die. The cup has everything to do with how you live. Look again. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. The cup, it turns out, isn't so much just the willingness to suffer as much as it is to go wherever God leads, whatever he wills, to do whatever God says, to submit completely to God's will with your life. Jesus asks James and John, are you willing to drink this cup? And they say yes, and Jesus confirms it. You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm gonna drink? We can, they answer. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. You will indeed. And, and it, it only makes sense in this context. James and John both drank the cup, just like Jesus predicted. One died by, executed, uh, by execution, the other died by old age. Only one was tortured and martyred, like Jesus. But both drank from the cup of Jesus because the cup of Jesus is not about death. It's about life. More specifically, it's about submitting your life completely in a commitment to following God no matter what. And that kind of commitment, that kind of commitment stretches our limits. It makes us face down our fear and it takes us through the danger. But like my hike through grizzly country, there is a reward at the end of it all. And there is an amazing accomplishment that awaits. Like the life of following Jesus, that's the cup going wherever he leads. Jesus did that. He asks us to do that, saying whatever he tells us to say, paying whatever the cost is, and the reward we get is heaven. Sure, it's heaven, but it's also an, um, an amazing reward before we get there, a reward that we can experience in this life right here. We get to know that we're a part of something that is way bigger than us, that we're a part of the movement of Jesus in the world today, the movement of changed lives happening right in front of us, the movement of the entire trajectory of someone's future being altered and knowing that God used you, at least in some small part, to make it happen. When you follow Jesus, that's the life. That's what happens. It's what our church does. And it's what we've done from our very first day. So whether you've been a part of PCC since last week or since the beginning, you're a part of a movement that is changing the world, not because we're great, but because he is great. Not because we're smart, but because we follow the one who defines what smart is. Not because we're gifted, but because Jesus gave us the ability. We're nothing. We really are. We're nothing. He's everything. Our name is nothing. His name is Great, defines great. At the name of Jesus, Paul would later say, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we get to follow him here and in heaven. That's what it means to drink the cup. So there are bound to be some people here today saying, well, okay, that sounds great, Brian, it's nice, but what, how does this work? What does this practically look like in my life? For you as a person, 
This is a life posture. It's a maxim that is at the core of who you are. It's a mindset that sets aside I want and my goal is and asks every day this question, what does God want? Or as Jesus would say, not my will, but your will. What does God want? And some people will ask it, somebody's thinking, you know, I've asked that question, I don't get an answer. Well, here's what you do when you don't get an answer. You just keep asking. The, the context, the construct of your mindset to your core is, I will do whatever God says. I'm just seeking the will of God, no matter what. You stay committed to doing whatever God wants you to do, going wherever God wants you to go, saying whatever God wants you to say, and it's not always easy. But it is always holy and right and sacred and ultimately rewarding. What does it mean to drink from the cup? That's the right question for us to ask as individuals. It's also the right question for us to ask as a church. When we started our church you know, 21 years ago, we were following Jesus. We were drinking the cup, to use Jesus' words to James and John in that, in that metaphor. And it wasn't all that unlike the hike that Susan and I got to do. It was a journey into the unknown. Planting our church was the journey into the unknown. We had a handful of people. We had no money. We didn't even have a location. I mean, we spent three weeks planning. That was all. I was inviting people to church. Many of the, the handful of us, we were inviting people to church. People would say, hey, man, I think I'll check this out. I'll ch I think I'll check out that church uh, that you're going to plant. Uh, where are you going to be meeting? And we would say, I don't know. We didn't even know these people. It's not like we could call them or email them when we found out. We didn't know. That's literally what happened. All we did know was that God clearly had told us where to, where to go and what to do. We were supposed to plant a church for people who didn't go to church. So early in the morning on September 1st, 2002, we rolled out a tarp on an elementary school gymnasium floor. And we set out these little elementary school chairs. That was all they had. The kind of chair that my rear end fit in nicely back then. Not so much these days. And we set up this ridiculously archaic sound system and an even more ancient projector. And the program that we handed out to people when they came in the door, we printed that on the printer at my house, which was already 10 years old, took like a minute and a half per page, smudged all over the place, looked awful. And today what we do as a church, I mean, if I'm just, if we're just being honest, this is not some big secret, what we do is not all that uncommon. But back then it was unthinkable like clothing dressed down and volume turned up. And people came to church and they didn't know what to think. Well, church people didn't know what to think. People who didn't go to church, they knew exactly what they thought. They thought this was for them. There's no judgment. There's no condescending tone. There was no talking over their heads by using you know, big words and language intended to impress people. There was no politics, just addressing questions that people had and frankly still have. Like, how do I really find happiness when life always isn't? I mean, it just, sometimes it's just not. And how do I, how do we discover and find great marriage and keep it that way? How can I survive parenting without losing my mind and eating one or more of my children? How can I actually discover spiritual truth and find my way to God? Does God even exist? And if he exists, does he even care? Those were some of the questions then. There's still some of the questions now. So that first Sunday, 21 years ago, the floor was first covered with a tarp, and then it was covered with people. 148 people, to be exact, on that very first day. I still don't know how most of them found out about us. We did zero advertising. There was zero dollars, and this was before Facebook. We had to rely on things that we generally consider bad, like rumor and gossip. But it was helpful. And we didn't know most of these people. But whatever they experienced, it, gave, it scratched an itch. It did something for them. So they came back, and they invited their friends. And we got bigger, and our influence grew, and people gave their lives to Jesus, which was the point. Marriages that arrived at our church in a disastrous way slowly started finding their way to health as people set aside their own selfish needs and started saying things like, what does God really want for a husband and a wife? Why did that happen? Because we decided we would drink the cup. 
meaning we would go wherever God wanted. We would do whatever God wanted, regardless of the danger or the risk or the cost or the sacrifice. So along the way, it's been a long journey, you know, over two decades now, there have been several times in the life of our church where we've had these points where we had to pivot. Places where we needed to decide, are we gonna keep doing this? Are we gonna keep pushing? Are we gonna keep risking? Are we gonna keep paying the price? And you've done that too, frankly. I mean, here's the truth. Every PCCer decides along the way, over the arc of time, if you're still gonna come with us. So there are people at our church right now, at all of our campuses, who you signed up for a lifetime of following Jesus, but when it comes to the church, it's okay, even necessary and appropriate to evaluate from time to time and ask, is this still worth it? Is this still worth it? Which brings us to today. A year ago, we embarked on this incredibly bold vision that we called Beyond. We spent months leaning, leading up to last fall, months praying about, I mean, earnestly seeking, trying to figure out, God, what do you want for your church? It's not our church. Where do you want us to go over the next two years? And we did that. We prayed that prayer over and over and over again with the full understanding that God was going to show us something that would put us at risk, that would bring some negative feedback and some ridicule because following God always involves risk and a lack of understanding from people from time to time. And we knew that if we followed God's vision, it would always be costly because following God always requires a sacrifice. And we knew that it would be hard because Jesus himself said that when you follow me, you go, you take the narrow path, the road less traveled, the harder road. But like my hike, we knew also that the danger and the risk and the sacrifice and the hard work would also lead to an amazing result if we would push through all that stuff. So we caught this vision, the beyond vision, and we launched it. And it included several things, like the uh, launching of a campus for a women's prison. And it included the uh, looking for how are we going to expand our ALIT campus? We need more space, so let's investigate buying another piece of property so we can eventually build a building. And it would include a, a major investment uh, outside of ourselves to help people with physical needs and to help connect with partners in challenging places around the world like Tanzania and Moldova and Belize and to up our investment there. It included thinking outside of ourselves by partnering with other churches and seeing, really embracing other churches as collaborators, not competitors. And it included investing in connecting people, finding ways to help connect people together in meaningful relationships outside of Sunday mornings as important as Sundays are. To do all of this, and that's just like the tiniest snapshot, to do all of this, it would require that our church comes together, that we do it together, that you come with us. We had heard from God, and we knew it. And then we cast this vision to our church, and we hoped you would see it too. And then we had this moment where our knees were knocking, and we had this holy, sacred moment where together we all made a financial commitment. Because in order to accomplish this unbelievable vision. It was going to cost like $8 million, a number I never thought I would say, by the way. One after another, people and families at our church, they came forward and they made a sacrifice. They made a commitment to, a renewed commitment to their church. And they decided, we decided together, we agreed God had spoken. And we expressed our willingness to follow God together wherever he led. Well, now we're a year into it. We're a year into the Beyond Initiative halfway and so much has happened, so much. You've heard about some of it, maybe not about all of it, just a few things. We finally did launch that campus in that women's prison, the Virginia Correctional Center for Women. And uh, that campus, thank you, yeah, it was amazing. And I got, I've gotten to go there once, and I'm telling you, it's an experience like you've, like you've never had before. It didn't just launch. Those women embraced it, many of them experiencing church like they've never experienced before, in a, all in a good way, and finding their way to Jesus, which is the point. At Nottaway, our men's prison, we've been operating that for a little while. That thing is completely taken off. We got so many guys coming to Nottaway now, we literally are running out of chairs every week. Hundreds of guys, no places to sit, standing room only. We're getting calls. We're getting calls now 
from prisons all around the state of Virginia saying, we don't know exactly what you're doing, but whatever it is, we want it here too. Bring it to our prison. I'm talking about administrators, not just people that are you know, living there. Is it worth the cost? Our work in prisons is not just drawing crowds. For the record, in case you don't know, I could care less about drawing a crowd. It's about changing people's lives and lives are being changed in those prisons because of the sacrifice you're making to make it happen. How about our ALIT campus? It was launched, some of you know this, forgive me. ALIT was launched during the pandemic, probably during the worst moment of the pandemic. We had built up to this grand opening that was supposed to happen four days after the whole world shut down. We, we had spent all this money on marketing for this grand opening to tell the whole community we were there, and it was all gone, just gone, vanished, along with the excitement that I thought was exterminated. That's what I thought. But God always sees what we can't see, right? And so we finally opened sort of quietly with no marketing because we couldn't get a refund and the campus went nuts, as you probably know. Today, ALIT is on the brink of three services. It's wall-to-wall, shoulder-to-shoulder people every single week. They had something like this tiny little building. I, I found out this week, I said, how many people came to the trunk or treat at ALIT? It was like, they said, between 12 and 1,400. I'm like, what? They said the line wrapped like all the way around the block. It was craziness. And we've done trunk or treats, by the way, at many of our campuses and fall events at many of our campuses. Thousands of people have come, not just for the fun. They might have come for the fun, but we got to introduce them to our church. And in many cases, we got to have conversations about Jesus and people came to church because of it. So we're investing in things like that and it's making a difference. The Beyond Vision saw the investigation of a new piece of land because we got to solve this problem at ALIT. Key word, though, was investigation. The Beyond Initiative didn't set aside money to do anything, just figure something out. Pastor Angie's going to tell you about this next week. But we are on the move, and it's super exciting there. There's no building yet. That's going to take a while. But your investment in the Beyond Initiative is setting up that campus for what they are hungry and waiting to do, and that is explode, which is the word that I would use for our whole church. To what end, though? so that thousands of people will come to know Jesus and their lives will be changed forever. It's the whole point. The vision that we saw from God included a huge investment outside of PCC through what we call our do-good effort. We've always done some of this at our church. We've always done good, but it was kind of hit and miss, if I can be honest with you. And, and that's not a derogatory thing about anybody. It was just kind of a patchwork of things that were loosely connected and they weren't always effective, though sometimes they were, of course. But we, we could see, we sensed strongly God saying, now's the time. I want you to go beyond the good that you're doing and I want you to make it so much more. And so we knew it had to have a new leader. We shifted some staff around. We put one of our most seasoned leaders, Pastor Brian Pope, as the do-good pastor. And we charged him with, I said to him, listen, I want you to look outside of our church and find ways to help people around every campus and around the whole world. And I could tell you tons of stories. We could be here all day, but let me just tell you one, just one story that most of us have not heard. Pastor Brian took uh, his charge and he went to every campus pastor and he said, listen, I want every campus pastor to find a local partner in the community. Let's not just invent new stuff. Find some local charity that's doing something that fits with us and let's just get behind them. Let's just support them. Let's just help them have what they need so that they can be successful. And at Farmville, at our Farmville campus, Pastor Michael discovered a local ministry called Better Days. This is this really small charity and it was designed, it's designed to help families who've got to start all over. Maybe they had a fire or some other kind of disaster and they, they've got to move to a new place but they don't have anything. They got no beds. They got no furniture. I mean, they've got, they have nothing. Not, not any of the basic things that you would think you need to turn a, a house into a home or a room into a home. So our Farmville campus got behind that, started supporting that charity, started coming alongside them to put furniture together. We donated stuff and all kinds of that, that kind of thing. Do you know today, 170 families have a home that they have gotten set up because of what you've did. Better than that, 250 kids are no longer sleeping on the floor. Now they're sleeping in a mattress because you made it happen, because of your commitment. It's really good work. And along the way, we've gotten to have spiritual conversations with those people. We also took a team of people to Tanzania. We did our first full mega camp at Save Life English Medium School. 
I got to go on that. Nearly 300 kids came, and most of those kids had no idea about Jesus, but now every one of them can tell you who he is. We launched the huddle, our men's conference. We held for you our women's conference, and we helped our partner in Belize to buy the adjacent piece of property so that they could expand their kids' ministry, which is going crazy, by the way. I got to go there last spring for a couple of days and see what they're doing, and our partnership with them is making it happen because of your commitment to your church in ways that you don't even know. Speaking of your church, we're getting more requests than ever, more requests than we ever have before for just help with people struggling as inflation cuts into the the core of the most vulnerable among us more than the rest of us, your church is doing all that we can do, more than we ever have before, to help those vulnerable folks. There is so much more. There's so much more to tell you. As God takes us beyond Sunday and beyond our limits and beyond ourselves, things that you said we want to get behind because we decided together to answer the question that Jesus asked of James and John that day. Will you drink from my cup? Will you go wherever God tells you to go? Will you drink from the cup of sacrifice? Will you take the cup of risk? Will you take the cup of hard work? And we said yes. Yes, church. We can still go beyond. Because regardless of how successful our church looks, we're always going to feel like our resources are too limited. Always. We're always going to feel like our scope is too large and our dream team's too small and the dream is just too big. But our calling is not really our dream. It's a calling from God who has given us creativity and resourcefulness even when we lack resources. From our very first day all the way until this day, we've been making it work. We've been figuring it out. We've been going for the goal. And what is that goal? Make no doubt about it. Our goal here is to reach every person who doesn't go to church so that we can all experience the fullest lives possible through Jesus Christ. So look around, church. God is on the move here. Let's keep moving with him. We're his church. We're God's people. We're moving where God sees, but we can't. We're always into what God always wanted for his church, for us, changed lives and altered eternities. That's the reward at the top of this climb. And the best part, the best part is we get to do it together. Your kingdom here as it is in We're still your people We're still your bride Still out to make your name 
Those words are true for us. Look ahead, look around. We cannot ease up now. Let's keep moving. We asked our team to come up with a new song that reflects what God is doing through Beyond, and that was it. That was pretty cool, right? Yeah. We just got to experience the world debut of that song together, and together we can continue to respond to God's invitation to help thousands of people know Jesus. You can find out more about our Beyond Initiative on our website, and if you're ready to get involved, come talk to any of us on your way out today. We know that God is doing great things here, and we're excited to be a part of it all to go beyond. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Sunday.